You know, it is just about honoring myself and acknowledging that I have I have a right to be here just as much as anyone else and I have a contribution just as much as everyone else does. That's been a process to arrive at that understanding. And that's the core, I think, belief that needs to be buttressed and that gets affirmed through these through these other things that I'm doing and through reaching out to people who support me and you know, and I do the same and I love I love supporting the people around me when they're doing what their soul calls them to do. I'm very passionate about that. Hey, this is Daphne Cohn and welcome to episode 13 of the Creativity Habit Podcast, conversations about art, creativity, and courage with artists, creatives, and makers. My guest today is a painter and a teacher. Her artwork can be found around the world, including the Museum of Contemporary Art in LA, the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art Artists Gallery, the Sundance Film Festival in Utah, and in galleries in the United States and Korea. Her name is Alana Kundel, and you can find her at alanakundel.com. In this interview, we talk about using art to discover oneself, taking risks and changing directions, Alana's daily warm-up routine, the biggest hindrance to making art, practices for cultivating self-love, and the one thing to be on guard for when pursuing a path of creativity. May you enjoy this conversation and may it inspire you to make your thing and change your world. Welcome, Alana, to the Creativity Habit Podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. The first thing I want to ask you about painting is is what you do. And was painting always a part of your life? How did painting and art show up for you as a little girl? So that's a great question. I think that it was part of my life from very early on because I found a book that I had written and illustrated when I was five. And (laughs) it was kind of a... It was a little bit scary, very expressive, and I don't think it was just painting and visual expression that was a part of me. I think I had a need to express, and always it came out through my voice and sometimes screaming. Like I I had, you know, I definitely had some issues growing up with my brother, and I think the way I expressed myself was really through my voice. Yeah, but it was it was there from the beginning and I have very early memories of being just stunned by the beauty of color. Before I was 3 years old, we were on a trip in Hawaii and I was snorkeling and just remember being immersed in blue and the colors. Like I literally still have this memory. So it was just so impactful. Wow. One thing I I'm curious about you said when you saw this book that you made when you were 5 that it was a little bit scary, very expressive. Why was it a little bit scary? Because there was so much emotion expressed in it. it. At the time, it embarrassed me. And I think I might have been in my early 20s. And I guess I just felt embarrassed by that level of raw emotion. And there was there was clearly some like dark emotion too. I mean, it might have been my feelings about my brother at the time. or <laughs> I'm not sure what, but I just have always been a very kind of an emotional person or just just driven very much by emotion and I think that that's what I'm able to harness through color in my work we're gonna back up in a little bit and talk about your art training and and all of that but because this is where you 
because of what you just said, I'm going to actually dive a little deeper into this part of your being very expressive and your work, because one of the things that you had talked about in something in an interview or an art critique actually was you were talking about your paintings and you said in every piece here, there is a tenuous part of it that is either controversial or objectionable in me. Part of it is sitting with the uncomfortableness that is life. So since you just talked about seeing that picture, that book when you were five and feeling uncomfortable with the rawness of the emotions. And yet so much of your art is about sitting with those emotions and then expressing them in some way. Just talk to me about how your paintings help you sit with the uncomfortableness in life. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, they're an opportunity to, it's just such a great question and a deep question, actually. And I I do want to say that, that about five or six years ago, someone helped me to see that my whole progression in art and painting has been parallel to my personal, I don't know, you could call it growth or transformation or, you know, just my own journey of of growing into a more authentic, more fully self-expressed um, my me. So, um, so I would say that I can literally, in some ways, map out. And some examples of that are when I le- I, I did a lot of figurative work before I left for Bologna, Italy. We'll probably get into that later. And then I started to go abstract, and I turned from outward in. You know, and at some point in time, I wanted to come out again and look at the story and acknowledge that that things have form for a reason and to acknowledge that. But there was a lot of exploration of like, what does the inner landscape look like? There's a lot of mystery in in bringing what's unconscious, subconscious to the surface. There's perpetual mystery for me in it. And I just feel it's very powerful. There's communication that happens in ways that you can't quantify. It doesn't happen with everyone. I mean, there are only certain people that relate to my work, and that goes for any work. And that's really important for me to remember in order to continue doing what I need to do. So I don't know whether I fully answered your question, but it's just been definitely something that has helped me understand the world, understand and relate to myself, heal, move beyond my old limiting beliefs. It's just a source of power and passion and love and curiosity and mystery. And I just, you know. Yeah. So when you approach a canvas, I haven't done much painting in my life. So I'm asking this from really very little understanding of the process. And when you approach a canvas and like you talked about how with painting, it shows you the unconscious, the subconscious reveals to you all these parts of yourself and that helps you heal and become more fully self-expressed you in the world. What do you have to either move aside, put aside, let go of, or listen more deeply to, to let that surface, like how does that come to the surface just in the actual process of painting? Does that make sense? Yes, I I think so. There is so much that I have to set aside and let go of in order to 
do the work and embrace the unknown that comes through. Visual artists can work in all different ways and um, some plan out their work in certain ways. I work very intuitively, so I'll start with a kind of feeling, a color combination that's really zinging and resonating with me, you know, an idea. It all starts from there, and I have no idea what it will look like in the end. So what I have to set aside along the way is that part of me that wants to know and define in order to sense, get into the flow and really sense what feels right. So it's kind of like I have to set aside my mind to listen to my heart, my body, and the other knowing that happens in other places, not in my brain, or maybe different parts of my brain. So I guess I have to set aside a lot of what I think I know about myself and the process and life. And, you know, it's cultivated through a practice, though, of understanding certain technique. You know, there are separate issues here. One is, you know, being able to have mastery over the materials or even not necessarily mastery. It's not that that's required at all, but to explore them, to have enough of a sense of what they do in order to be able to call on it when I want. And that's the use of any kind of art education, if you will, is is I see it as having the tools in order to call on them when desired, when needed, in the service of art or something, you know, creativity. Yeah, it's very interesting because it makes me think, when I turned 38, I went through this whole period of really resisting getting older. And what I hear you saying, what is in the same way as aging is compared to knowing your materials. It's like you know, you get to know the materials in painting, how they work, what what color combinations work, how different paints work, all of that, so that you can then let it go. And in those moments, like you can be able to call on them so that you can then eventually surrender to the process you know enough to then surrender to the process and the reason I brought up the aging piece is it's very similar in life it's like we we know enough we've learned enough about how life works that we have these tools we can call on but then the next step is being able to surrender to come back to surrendering to the unknown and letting the unknown reveal itself yeah very much I mean I see a lot of parallels also I think that you know, daily life gives us these opportunities all the time. You know, language also, I see that as the same kind of territory, that it's a place where we, we learn it early, we learn it experientially, and then we learn it in our minds through school and otherwise. And, you know, at some point we take off with it and we have the power, the freedom of choosing our language, sculpting and creating through this tool of communication and expression. So I see it like that. Yeah. So Alana, what are some of your practices then? Because once you have that either mastery or enough of a, an understanding, then it's easy to get your identity caught up in, I know how to do this. I know how to paint this type of painting. I know whatever that is. So what are some of your practices that allow you to set aside all the knowing and see what comes out? Well, that is always a work in progress, because 
I am aware that I need to sell my work these days somewhat in order to continue making it, or I made that choice at least. I could make a different choice, even this, I mean, I've been thinking about it. So there, in the back of my mind, because I have representation and work with a few different art dealers, it's in the back of my mind that um, eventually I might want this to become something that can hold together. So I have to kind of have multiple practices. Um, I have my warm-up practices, which are using all sorts of materials that I don't do necessarily in my finished art. So pastels, pencils, charcoal, ink, you know, all sorts of things. And I also leave these out on the table for my students when they come in. And I encourage all my students to do a warm-up. It's sort of like morning pages, just getting the let out for the first 10, 15 minutes. The morning pages also, um, I've been doing those, and those help me to just let go of what's cluttering. And it gets me out of my mind and into just a flow. You know, but I sometimes I need to talk with friends about this and confer with other artists and get tips on how I can suspend the need for it to turn out in a certain way. And, you know, part of what what's really important is to count the success as the time that I'm dedicating and not anything else. So it doesn't have to do with how anything turns out. It's just, am I doing? Am I doing something? And, you know, to acknowledge myself for doing that and, and often with a friend, you know, I, I text friends often that I'm, I just, in fact, with my morning routine, this is kind of a new habit. And I'm texting a friend when I do a painting in the morning. We're text, texting each other just to support each other and to acknowledge our own process. So I feel like those things are really important because when I'm not in flow and focusing on just in the being and the and the doing, I start to really limit myself and, and get these voices inside like this isn't enough, you're not doing doing it right, you know, like uh, you should be doing that or all of these things that have nothing to do with creativity itself. Hmm. Right. And that's important to to highlight because here you are, you've been painting for a long time and in just a minute we're going to talk about the beginning, the training and and where you are what you've what you've done up until now but you've been painting for a long time and still not only are those voices not only do they show up and like you say they have nothing to do with creativity they're all the other stuff so not only do they keep showing up but also that even at this point it's important to text a friend every day and say hey i did my painting i showed up i absolutely yeah Yeah, and it's part of, you know, what I understand. I've been dipping slightly into a little bit of the neuroscience behind these things, and it's so powerful to just acknowledge these tiny successes. It's like, you know, it triggers the brain's motivation circuit and my sense of well-being and all of these things. So they're really small, but the way I talk to myself, you know, I'm vigilant about – loving myself through this process today and that's what's changed a lot in the last maybe eight years is a sense of self-care and self-love that allows me to create from a place of openness okay so now i have to ask about that so talk to me (laughs) talk to me about that because i honestly feel that is the biggest hindrance 
to making our art, to creating, is the way we talk to ourselves uh, and what we believe about ourselves. So So, talk to me about that journey for you and what are some of the things that you've learned and and have implemented as a result? The journey has been long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I used to really have punishing thoughts in the studio if I weren't doing enough or if weren't it wasn't turning out and I used it as a baton to beat myself with that I wasn't good enough because there's I feel like for a lot of us who are motivated to create something that there's a vision and we want to see that vision materialize but the fact is there will, will always be some kind of gulf between what I can imagine and create and that's what drives me forward so um, if I can accept that my brain first of all wants to be safe always wants to keep me safe, you know? So it's like, if I can go, oh, thank you so much for that thought. And meditation practice, of course, helps in a huge way for me to to become more of the observer rather than victim to my, you know, whatever thought flies into my head or whatever emotion comes up. So there have been lots of um, my yoga teachers, um, friends, you know, a lot of people in my path who have helped me cultivate that sense of of self-love in different ways. So the types of things that I do are I have a strong morning practice where I just do a little bit of meditation and breath work. And the breath work is based on kundalini practice. I'm not that involved in it, but it's just something that I've picked up from a few classes with friends. And then I do morning pages and I do a little bit of painting these days and a little bit of movement. And it's like just sparking you know, waking up my body, sparking my mind. And what I focus on also in that meditation time is, is bringing in my prosperous well-being, you know, it's sort of like, really opening to be in service today. And, you know, to focus on how I can help others, and also how I can be in the the highest light, the highest form of myself today. And it's just like, how can I be the best daughter and sister and friend and teacher? So these thoughts kind of come in and I just sit with them. And it allows me to focus on the creative possibility and on expanding within. And then basically, you know, there are a number of other things. And, and as I said, part of it is acknowledging what I am doing, not what I'm not doing. So if for today it has to be three minutes of painting or something, like, I mean, I know I have a a minimum of 15, but if it ended up being less, it's like, hey, I still did three minutes. And it has to be good enough. That has to be good enough for today, knowing that I'm building up and that that it's complicated to create a schedule and balance financial needs and commitments to loved ones and other things in life. But I have to create the space for myself, no matter how small, to to honor that and to acknowledge that I'm moving forward in that area. And I feel like that always brings me hope and it changes every day for me. Yeah. And it's huge. We, my husband and I worked with a coach and that was one of his biggest things was acknowledging everything. He, that's what he encourages us to do, acknowledge everything. And sometimes I'll share some, like, uh, some difficult process that I went through and an insight that I got out of it. And my husband, I'll tell my husband and he'll go right on and he'll give me a high five, like as a way yes. of just this reinforcement of this is good. 
this is good. And we have to remind ourselves of that. And I think you're touching on something, which is that we, you know, it is up to us to surround ourselves with people who will support us in that effort rather than compete or, I mean, I don't share that with people who I think won't understand what a victory it is for me to paint for three minutes in the morning, you know? And it's funny for me to say that after this many years of painting, but it still is something. What's fascinating about this is that when I start painting, I do not want to stop. But when I'm not painting and I'm just thinking, there's all sorts of feeling. There's, there's dread. There's, there's, it's very loaded for me because um, if I'm not careful, part of me thinks I need to perform. I need it to turn out a certain way. It, it becomes about something else. So I, I mean, this is something that I deal with daily. And, and Stephen Pressfield, do you know the book, The War of Art? I haven't read it okay. yet, actually. But so, but list. his whole point about this is, well, it's, he labels all of this under resistance. He calls all of it resistance and says, Everybody has it and it never goes away. It will never go away. So then the work is how do you work with it so that it doesn't win, basically. Right. And and I think what's another thing that's really important about what you're saying is a lot of times, and this is something that's really important to me, is the honesty that you're sharing right now. Because a lot of times what you'll hear from people is this used to be a problem, now it's all solved. And life is great. And that can be really challenging when you hear that and think, I don't have it all figured out. I don't, it's not always great for me. What am I doing wrong? And so when somebody is willing to share, hey, it's still hard. Or hey, I still go through this every every time. It's like just to paint for three minutes. I have to remember that's a victory. And that that's, and it's the doing. Those are important words to hear for all of us. So I appreciate that. Appreciate yeah. It. And I mean, I've heard about people writing books 15 minutes a day. You know, you can really do a lot. If you think about, I think they've added up the number of hours in a year that you spend brushing your teeth. It's like two full days. You know, I mean, anything <laughs> adds up. <laughs> I mean, when I hear that, it's like, if I can brush my teeth every day, come on, I can do this. And, and it's, it's just about making it not precious at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it is just about honoring myself and acknowledging that I have, I have a right to be here just as much as anyone else. And I have a contribution just as much as everyone else does. That's been a process to arrive at that understanding. And that's the core I think belief that needs to be buttressed and that gets affirmed through these, through these other things that I'm doing and through reaching out to people who support me. And, you know, and I do the same and I love, I love supporting the people around me when they're doing what their soul calls them to do. I'm very passionate about that. And just to finish up on this whole path that we've been going down, there's a podcaster that I love if people have been with me for a while they know rob bell and one of the things that i just heard him say recently in a podcast was he was at a party with a yoga teacher and he asked the yoga teacher what's the one thing that if your students knew this you would have fewer students and and she said oh i know i know right away I, i know what that is it's you are enough and that's exactly what you're speaking to is this whole thing about I, it, I'm enough. The painting yep. I'm doing is enough. The, the finished product is enough. 
the whole everywhere where I'm at in the process is enough. And just recognizing that we all we all deal with that every single human being. Yes, yes. And just to wrap up on that, I have a friend who sometimes does a chant that's my life is worthy of honor. Mm, And I really love that. Yeah. So let's step back a little into art training and how you got started. So talk to me about your art training and art school and, and that path that you started down many years ago. I was very lucky to have parents who were supportive of my creativity and exploration. And my mom actually was an art major at UCLA, used to make my clothes when I was young, and she owned a kid's clothing store for a long time. And I had some of her old drawings in my closets. You know, my dad would would always take photos when we went on trips to Yosemite, he would make, (laughs) he would make us wait for two or three hours while he captured the absolute perfect shot with his (laughs) large format camera. And, you know, I mean, so he was really serious about it. But that example, even though he doesn't call himself an artist, he's a pediatrician, but he's made furniture over the years and tended to the garden. And I mean, definite Renaissance guy, but I really got the the lesson that it was really okay to express myself although they didn't express they didn't appreciate how (laughs) how I expressed myself with my voice I'm sure for a number of years so I think you know they did help me with art classes when I was young and in high school and I didn't know that I was gonna I knew that I was always going to continue doing art but I didn't know that it would be the main thing I would do so I went to UC Santa Cruz and I was open to different paths and I had to declare myself a pre-art major in order to take classes and before I knew it basically I had more art classes than anything else and it just was what I wanted to continue doing so I also studied Italian. I was able to study for a year, do the, the study abroad, and I went to the uh, Academy of Fine Arts in Bologna. That changed my life in a lot of ways and my art, my understanding of creativity as a way of life. That's really where I got it that year. So and, say more about creativity as a way of life. Like what... What was your understanding in that year? Well, let's look at the food. (laughs) (laughs) The food is the strongest way to convey, oh my God, life can be this delicious and you made this? I mean, my friends cooked the most incredible things. I remember going to a friend's house where the, I think her grandma and aunt had made the salami and someone else had done the olive oil and, you know, I mean, everyone was involved in the production of this fine art food (laughs) and it, and it tasted like heaven. And it's like one of the sensory experiences in life. And then there was the, I remember coming in in October when I was living there in Bologna and I was waiting any day now, is school going to start? And I went up I found the marble sculpture sculpture teacher who, by the way, had hands that were larger than his head. If you know anything about proportion, wow. it's usually three quarters of the size of your. Wow. <laughs> so um, he had these huge hands and he was so sweet. And he said, oh, don't worry. One of these days we'll start up. And, you know, it was just this like really slow process of unfolding and opening. And, you know, the the breaks in the afternoons and 
no one at the post office was in any hurry to send out anything. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you live that way, you start to become open to the senses, you know, of like, wow, this is really beautiful. That gelato tastes like, oh my God, you know, like, and, like there's an appreciation and a craft and each person is contributing in their way, regardless of whether we would call it art normally. And I just got that every moment is kind of an opportunity to engage with in life in a deeper way, in a sensorial way, in a co-creative way. And becoming more deliberate about that was really powerful. And a lot of poetry came through and a lot of other media. Because I think for a lot of us, you know, creativity flows through not just one channel, you know, there are many modes of expressing ourselves and we each maybe have a propensity towards something, but I think that's it. It was a life really fully well lived, very sensory and luscious and beautiful and not all great <laughs> remotely, you know, but um, that was my experience and it was very strong. I love that. I love that because what you just did besides giving a really vivid, beautiful image of what it means to have creativity be your life in essence, is it also underscored the idea that when we feel like, oh, I'm not an artist, I'm not a whatever, I'm not a writer, I'm not a painter, I'm not a dancer, I'm not a whatever that is, that art, that creativity is the actual, the slowing down and being present to how whatever it is that's coming out of you, how you choose to allow that to come out and how you interact with what's coming in. Mm -hmm. That that's essentially yeah. what it is. I mean, that's absolutely. Yeah. It's play. I mean, for me, it's play. That's the bottom line. I know people call it artwork. I think it's play. It's engagement. I mean, that's how we're born as babies. Babies play with everything. It's like you're learning about the world by moving around it, wrestling with it. You're not afraid of picking something up, tasting it, you know, like, oh, plastic, green plastic toy. Hmm. And then we, we get structured like, oh, those are only for that. You can only touch those. You can't eat those. I mean, a lot of it is protective. Right. It helps us to stay alive. But, you know, we, ha we have to be deliberate about where we draw the line and allow creativity to come in. And one, one thing that can be very powerful is to do a meditative practice of exploring material. And I think when you do get into that sensory quality, like just by touching your skin, it, it gets you out of the, the brain and all of the limitations and into what is happening now. Yeah. So how did you go from that year in Italy to having some of your art show up in the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles, the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the Sundance Film Festival. How did that happen? Well, so by the way, it was it's the SF MoMA Artist Gallery. Okay. So they Artist typically gallery. work with Yeah. Okay. Um they they work with mainly local artists up there. So, you know, I guess that's a matter of evolution in the expression and there were a lot of steps along the way and the first step would have been my completely letting go of the figure at first when I was in Bologna you know I was doing these figure drawings and then experimenting with all different materials even toilet paper and you know stuff like that all around the edges like I had to keep the figure in there to prove that I was able to draw 
And it reminds me of what I heard about Warhol, that he used to do drip marks so that he could show that it was a painting and not just a poster or something until he later adopted that the screen printing. Basically, it was a long evolution of trying out different things. And it got to the point where I literally was ready to give up. You know, I was like, why am I even doing this? I couldn't find something that really clicked and made sense. I felt the need to somehow wrap it up tidy and have a consistent style, if you will. And this is in my last year in school when I came back to Santa Cruz. And then I was reading this well-known author, colorist, E10, I think it was the, uh, the Elements of Color, and talking about how color can be used in different ways. And I realized, like, I, I just let go of everything else in the elements of design and art, and I just focused on color and feeling. And what would happen if I just let the color show me how large it wanted to be, how it wanted to move, you know? Which... When I say that, I mean, I'm a little skeptical because I know that I have a part in that, mm-hmm. but it is a kind of surrender, as you talked about earlier. And and when I did that, this bold, large thing came out, and it even had some words in it from a poem. It surprised me, really surprised me. It surprised some other people around me in the studio, and I kept working towards that, and then I, I continued on that path of inquiry. They were very like dualistic, monochromatic, maybe one or two colors, large abstract pieces. And so I did my senior show with these pieces. And then gradually, life came in, I was working in high tech, you know, I had never learned anything about the business. So I got out of school with about $18 in the bank and a degree (laughs) and went, okay, what now? And you know, I just started champing, got involved in high tech, and I would run over and work with the designer on projects whenever I could on my lunch break. And, and I remember, I mean, I was laid off in 2002. And he looked at me and he said, don't do this again. He's like, you need to do your creative work. Like you need to and he wasn't just talking about painting, he was saying, you know, like you, you have something to give and to do here. And when I was laid off, I was able to spend a lot more time painting And always along the way, it was really critical for me to have a studio space. So I was working in a friend's studio for a while in Santa Cruz. I moved up to San Francisco and started working at a gorgeous market and bakery. They needed menus. I started to design their menus. And then the owner of the bakery knew someone who was running a big art space up there with about 80 artists in one big warehouse. And I took a little corner triangle of one of those and then someone insisted that I participate in open studios. I really didn't want to. I did not want to show anyone my work. In fact, I I was really threatened by the idea or really, you know, I was not in the loving place with my work. And um, But she really insisted and I went for it and gradually I got more comfortable uh, with the idea of people looking at my work in front of me or at all. And more and more. So I I started to become more visible, literally, with my work in San Francisco, and then um, saw that I would never be able to really focus on the work full time living up there. And I came back down here, where my family is, to Southern California, and started to really, really focus on the work. And that included a, a really beautiful residency at Vermont Studio Center, which exposed me to visiting artists in the field and other artists and changed my work, although not immediately. It took about 
four months for me to see those shifts. And it just radically shifted me forward and basically just continued to grow, got involved in the LA Art Association and continued to really hone my craft and what I wanted to say and communicate and how I was doing that. And gradually, um, so at MOCA, it was, it was a, an auction that I participated in a couple of times. And so that happened through a dealer who actually found me and gave me a solo show um, through the LA Art Association eventually. But it started off more like, hey, I'm doing a show. Would you like to put a few small pieces in? Yes. You know, and then, you know, it just has to do with sort of um, who's seen your work, who you're connected with, and how you're growing as well. And that's been, you know, I that was a real challenge for me for a number of years. So it was always moving and growing, but I feel like it takes a lot of risk. And it, and in fact, the last couple of years have been pretty difficult, feeling like I want to do more with the work and not knowing how and feeling the the level of risk in, in really making leaps and doing something different. And as you saw recently, the political work came through. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, I want to get to that in a second. Um, you just said about a million things for me to want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, I had so many questions firing off and I had to just keep letting it go so I could like stay present and let the next question go and stay present. But, um, okay. So I'll just stay with the latest piece and then we'll go into your, the political work, like what's happening with that and, and with your art. So the, and this may feed right into it, which is when you're at that precipice where you, where you're at right now of, okay, there's going to be a lot of risk involved here. And, feeling that kind of the back and the force, I imagine. What I'm assuming is this back and forth between, okay, here, this is nice and comfortable. I know this. Oh, but I'm being pulled towards this, which is uncomfortable, and I don't know it. How do you, like, take that? What's the what's the next step in that process for you? Because all of us, at some point or another, are in that. I'm in that right now. So we're, so I'm curious from, from your perspective of where you're at, what is the next step? The truth is that the the work that I was doing got so uncomfortable that I had to stop. And it had to do also with some personal events in, in life that were difficult and with the election and things like that. So there was a period of grief um, on a lot of levels. And there were a couple of months that it was... I, I made myself paint a couple of times, but it was so painful. And the, they're not terrible paintings. They're even, you know, I was still branching out and trying things, but it was so painful of an experience. So I had to let it go and start being open to what else I'm going to do in, in the world, in life. And all along the way, I've been teaching and doing other, you know, doing small design jobs and things like that. So, but then these political, like, word-based pieces found me really like I started to be haunted by certain words I felt like I was watching the witnessing the erosion and the corruption the literal corruption of language I mean if you look at alternative facts and yeah. you know ideas like that so there's been a lot of that and a lot of language used in powerful oppositional ways corrosive ways I mean it's just all about language and a certain level of I witnessed a certain level of bullying happening on a really local level 
and a certain and one of my greatest fears with the political situation was basically emerging fascism a kind of authoritarianism and you know there's no greater threat to art than fascism and the idea that everything needs to obey and you know anything that doesn't follow along is rejected ostracized or oppressed or attacked or what have you you know I mean that's that's extremely dangerous for art so somehow you know these things started to evolve and then it was a question of okay so I had all these ideas mapped out and then fortunately I was invited to be part of a show so that gave me the deadline because it is still all about deadlines I had sent you a little something in writing about I don't really get cooking in oil in oil paint, you know, and throwing down super risk. I mean, that's when it gets really risky because you're talking about very expensive materials. I often don't get cooking unless I have a really motivating deadline, accountability, or a drive that's so strong that I find myself besides myself, <laughs> in spite of myself, you know, how I put it was basically... I can tell you it, how you put it if you want. <laughs> I have it in front of me. Um, you said, I usually don't get into the really meaty work in oil unless, one, I have a motivating deadline or accountability on a specific project. Two, I have really good momentum and no schedule impediments. And three, or occasionally if the urge is so strong from inspiration by nature, other art forms or ideas that I find myself in prostration, in love and devotion at my easel. Yep. That's it. Yeah. It's when it's when life leaves you howling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, in love or in pain or whatever, you know. Yeah, so, so let's look at art as a tool for social change. And what do you see as the role of art as, as a tool for that? Well, that's an interesting question because oftentimes when you look at the art world or where art is shown, a lot of kinds of art are relegated to institutions in which you expect to find them, whether it's galleries, museums, alternative spaces, you know, particular places where you need to go and expect to see art. But there are a number of programs with political work. I mean, there, there are many forms of art. You look at Hamilton you know, I mean, you look at really powerful music is is ubiquitous. I mean, like music is a very powerful form. So so all of the forms have their own ways of of um, affecting, influencing culture and being also a mirror to, you know, along the way. So I think they're, they're extremely powerful and it's not for us to know how they're going to impact. Like, I mean... I actually just got to go see Reina Grande speak a couple days ago at Oxnard College, and I don't know that much about her, but she was talking about how when she was working on her memoir, she assumed no one was ever going to read it. So she was really writing it for herself. But now this is a this is a, a memoir that's being used. You know, it was really honest, and it was about her her experience of never having a home because the home was divided her her dad left for the united states ostensibly to, to build them a home they took years to build the home separate the family got pulled apart 
and you know the kids had years away from their parents and all of this that a lot of people can relate to especially in a land of immigrants you know everyone has some grandparent or parent or themselves have a story about going from their home and not really feeling like they belong anywhere at some point when she wrote that she was just writing from her own experience so so those types of things i mean i have to constantly remind my students that you don't know who this is going to impact and how and that's not up to you it's it's up to you like as the martha graham quote goes to keep the channel open to go with the urges that move you and to simply do the work not to judge it but to do what is coming through you what needs to come through you and uniquely you and only you yeah so to show up and and express yourself as you're here to to express as you're here to be yeah to and for me that's a continual search inside of like what is true for me what resonates for me what is true here what so really listening to that impulse so that's that's kind of one of the most important things to me today is is to listen to that impulse. So when these weird words were coming through, it's like, oh man, what am I going to do with this? You know. And now there's the work of bringing it to my peers, continuing to work in the material world, which is always different from the mental world or the digital, you know. And then that's where the work comes in. Is like, oh man, now I have to figure out how to make this more impactful or where it's going to go. And I don't know. It's that. At this point in the game, after having done it for this many years, I do have a sense of faith in the process and that even if this doesn't go anywhere, I can honor the fact that I have very strong urges to do this work. Well, I, so I'm curious like when you say and apologies for interrupting here, when you said you have the urges and you create what you create and then you step back and say, okay, how can I make this be more impactful? Or, you know, it's very different in the material world. Just say a little more about like what you mean. Are you saying that you, you make the painting and then say, how do I present this to the world? Or what, what is that? So the, so the process that I described earlier, first of all, okay, well, so there's, there are a couple of things and I have the poster here that I sent you an image of. This was one of Karita Kent's students who wrote this great poster of art department, Immaculate Heart College art department rules. And one of them says, don't try to create and analyze at the same time. They're different processes. And this is really important. It's like if we use our editor mind while we're doing the creative stuff or while we're doing the, in the flow, it can really tamp down, cut off the process. So even in my, you know, more intuitive paintings, I usually get to a place, whether it's like 50%, 80%, where I have to step back and go, okay, what are you doing? You know, like what's happening here? And I have a consciousness awareness. And sometimes actually the video that you cited was part of a show at the Carnegie Museum amongst a group of artists, you know, in a critique group where we would discuss you know, look at our work when it was not fully formed usually and talk about how to strengthen it. So when you're in the mode, when you're, I guess that's the difference in in being kind of in a more professional role is that you consider more at some point, how am I communicating with others? What is this saying to others, you know? And that's part of the process. Now with this political work, 
it's more methodical and conceptual than anything I've done in a long time. So I have these sketches, digital sketches, and now it's a matter of how am I going to do this? Am I going to do this in ink on paper, oil? Am I going to drill holes in this piece, you know, in the form of the word? You know, I mean, they're all different possibilities, and some of them are more, more potent because of media. I mean, I was in this this group show. There was an, an artist who did this exquisite piece on Sandy Hook, and it was basically the emblem from the front of the school, Sandy Hook, all visitors welcome, and he did it in mm-hmm. gunpowder gunpowder using the same gunpowder that was used in the massacre and it is this incredible his name's scott froshauer sorry if i'm mispronouncing it but so incredibly powerful and it's that thing about when you yoke when you link up the medium with the expression there's a way to communicate that's so instant and so so profound you know and it and it also has different meanings i mean he talks about how some gun second amendment like activists gun lovers are really excited about some of his work (laughs) you know and it's like you never know so you never know where things are gonna go and and you know how that makes an impact going into those audiences that you never would have thought of and that's where the larger current of the times and the world can take take things so I don't know whether I answered your question but it's sort of like yeah you did okay Yeah. yeah there's a point at which there's a point at which you there there's the aspect of surrendering and then there's also the part about okay how can I how can I make this impactful because I am communicating and I can make a difference in some way maybe a stronger difference if I consider certain things okay well gosh time is going way too fast so <laughs> we're coming towards the end here and I have a few questions at the end before I do two things. First one is if you were talking to somebody who is either pursuing a career in the arts or just wants to tap more deeply into their own creativity, what would you say is the thing to pay attention to? Like not to be wary of, but to just be on guard for and uh, so that it doesn't so that you don't stray from the path because of it. Like what's, what's one of the big things to really be um, on the lookout for? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the internal voice that says you can't and to get curious about it. Oh, I can't. That's interesting. Um, What is that voice? What, like, why are you protect trying to protect me or what are you, what is your function? Like really being able to step step back from that, you know, whatever that voice is. And again, as I said, I have certain tools that I use that include meditation, reaching out to other people, uh, groups, like, I mean, artist way groups. Um, you know, there are a lot of meetup groups. There are a lot of people who are dedicated to being on the creative path. So it can really help to have a community and accountability partners. That's huge. Um, as I said, you know, texting my friend daily and doing like, right now we're at a 30 day challenge, just, we're not even calling it a challenge. It's just like, let's do this for 30 days, you know, and I know, I know that I need to do that because I'm accountable to someone. Um, so I would say just, it really has to do with those internal limitations. And then 
gently, I would suggest that setting up the space and baby steps, you know, it's like, I don't remember where I read it, but, and it relates to Twyla Tharp's The Creative Habit. Yeah, that was the inspiration for the name of The Creativity Habit. Oh, so great. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, to basically set yourself up for success. And that means that if you want to go to the gym one day, just putting your sneakers by the front door, not expecting yourself to go to the gym, but just put the sneakers by the front. What I've had to do is acknowledge that, I mean, right now I have a studio space that's all set up for myself. It's taken a long time to get it there. And it includes having the right music, having snacks available, having tables set up where the supplies are already ready and I don't have to worry about it. If you don't have a space, it's creating the time to acknowledge what it takes to set up, what it takes even psychologically to set up, you know. And and I also I also recommend going about it from the side. Like if you feel like your medium might be visual, then how about writing or dance? Or, I mean, other things. And that's definitely something I do when I'm feeling in a rut or resisting is just bring in some other form. I mean, I feel like they're all linked on some level inside. Yeah. And it's great. The example you mentioned with Twyla Tharp, because I remember her saying in that where I think she got up at five every morning to go to the gym. And just like you said, you know, she had her shoes by the door, the whole thing. And everything was just one step, follow the next, follow the next. It was all automatic. And I remember that she said, it was when I was in the taxi on my way to the gym that I knew I had won, like that I had, I had already done it because the, the actual working out at the gym, now that was just happening. Like it was already in motion. It was already, that was going, that was inevitable at this point. And so it was getting to the taxi. And I loved that because it is another way of saying it's it's not what you create. It's not the end product. It's it's the doing. It's just the steps that get you there. That's all you need to be. That's all you need to. Um, that's the only place you need to put your attention is the steps that get you there, and then you'll be there. You'll it'll happen. That's exactly it. Yeah. So yeah, and it's yeah, yeah and it's it really comes down to that simple like. What are those moments in which you might decide not to? And she talks about that and just defining that and setting up your ritual right there so that you light the candle when you're thinking of not doing the yoga or stretching or you, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's just about like, it's just about that awareness that, and it's personal, I think, for each one of us. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so... First, Alana, before I go into the last few questions, for people to be able to find you, they can go either to Alana Kundel, which is E-L-A-N-A-K-U-N-D-E-L-L.com or just Kundel.com. And last few things. So first is an appreciation. And I want to appreciate you for what I see as a total commitment to your like authentic self-expression, both in your painting and in your life. So as you mentioned several times that you have really, that you're, as your painting has grown, you've grown and your painting has often helped your growth and vice versa, but just that total commitment to that path, because that is not an easy path. And I really hear your 
solidness along it and that that's just part of who you are and it will always be I believe part of who you are so thank you for that level of commitment and for then taking what you're learning and turning it into paintings and offering those to the world so that we can all be part of that process thank you so much I really appreciate that yeah you're welcome and before I ask my last question, is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like to touch on? I can't think of anything. No. Okay. Uh, so the last question is, we all are creative. We all are artists in our own way. Why do you think it's important that everyone make their thing? Because everyone has different access points. And I find inspiration and motivation from those around me. I think about the how my teachers have impacted me, how certain friends impact me. And I know that I can't do the work I need to do without them doing the work they need to do in a sense, you know, I mean, I know it's up to me, but my path is lit by all those around me who are also dedicated to, to doing what they need to do. And I think that the world would be a very different place if we, if we each focused on the true, the true urges that move us. And so every one of us has that birthright of creativity. Thank you, Alana. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, it's really been a gift and I could talk about this forever. So I, I could just keep going and going. So I really, really appreciate what you're doing and anyone out there listening, it's like, you, you've got this, just start, just start where you are. And if you stop, begin again and continue, just life is worth it. It's such a beautiful experience and we need only tap into that. Perfect. Thank you.